The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, thank you, Tom. How are you doing? Good, Father. Thanks Good for being to here. See you this evening. Yeah, you too, definitely. Father, I just thought we could start tonight with some of the never-ending Francis follies. Um, there has been this this issue going on, Father, uh, in regards to immigration here in our own country, particularly with uh, those illegal immigrants who are trying to enter within our borders, and there's been this this um, this outcry over the separation of families. Say there's there's adults who try and enter into our country illegally with their children, and they're being uh, captured, they're being caught, and they're being put in different concentration, not concentration, they've been referred to as concentration camps, but different camps, they've been separated, and there's been so much outcry over this whole idea. There's been many Catholic bishops that have, Novus Ordo bishops that have weighed in on this, and then Francis himself recently said that this whole idea of separating families at the border is immoral, it's contrary to Catholic values, we should uh, we should welcome these people. The only way to deal with this immigration is to, these people coming here, is to welcome them, to work with them, to be prudent, to accept them, and all of this. So, Father, what is your take on this whole this whole idea of separating children from their families as their as their parents try to illegally enter the country. Well, in principle, to separate children from their parents is uh, is an awful thing. I mean, it's it's terrible, right? There would take some serious justification to do that. I mean, it, it can be done morally when it is to protect the children from some great evil or some great threat, right? Um, but uh, it is very interesting to watch the media and the, the leftist politicians react to this problem because they're so selective in their moral outrage. Uh, the word hypocrisy comes to mind and it has been used, uh, and rightly so, with regard to the, the left-leaning press, and that pretty much includes 95% or more of the press these days, the leftists, uh, because they are propagandists, right? And uh, you know, a lot of talk about fake news. Well, fake news is basically a lie, right? And so you've heard of the International Liars Club, <laughs> where they get together to vie uh, with each other for the honor of being the, 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 the best liar, <laughs> right? The greatest liar. Well, it seems like we're having that uh, contest played out daily in the media. Sure. Uh, it used to be ascribed to politicians. Politicians used to be, uh, you know, granted the award uh, as though they were vying for each other, vying with each other to see who could tell the biggest whopper. And uh, but uh, here, the the media is now the handmaid of the the left. So uh, as propagandists, uh, when Obama. When uh, Barack Obama was doing these things, and he was actually caging children and wrapping them in, in aluminum foil, <laughs> as the pictures have shown, uh, the media mentioned it and then it quickly died out because it just wasn't considered newsworthy. Uh, when Barack Obama was saying things uh, even more, shall we say, um, 
anti-illegal immigration than, uh, than Donald Trump is saying, um, the media was silent. But now that it is not Barack Obama and their leftist uh, idols, uh, now that it is Donald Trump, of course, it is incalculable, intolerable. You know. um, where was uh, Francis when uh, Barack Obama was doing these things? Yeah. And all the rest of them, you know. So anyway, um, so one, one really uh, can only wonder at the brazen hypocrisy of the leftists. Uh, they're so concerned about these children, and they're so, uh, um, shall we say, worshipful of Hillary Clinton's uh, pro-abortion policies and Barack Obama's um, pro-abortion policies. So again, they're very, very selective, aren't they? they, they they're more concerned about saving the baby seals than they are about saving uh, human children from being mercilessly um, put to death. But that's, that's the left. I mean, uh, the, the, the entire um, methodology starts with false principles with the left. And it goes, it just gets worse from there. It descends from there, from the, the big lie to all the little lies that they tell honestly, endlessly to justify um, the evil that they do. But in any case, um, there's much more to this issue than meets the eye or the, the press is willing to acknowledge. Uh, quite a number of those children are actually being brought in, as it turns out, or as I understand it, by, um, by child traffickers, for one thing. <clears throat> um, how many of those children have actually been, been abducted and are being brought in? How many are, are being brought in by those who are paid to get them into this country illegally? Um, the, the question also arises, and, and there are definitely some, there are definitely children who are being brought in by, by gangs, by smugglers, and uh, there are those who are not even children at all, right? Um, we know that a number of the terrorists, quite a number of terrorists, um, have entered um, under false pretenses in Europe and possibly in this country too. Um, we know that there are diseases that come in, and so to actually screen for, um, for tuberculosis and other diseases that are much more common in other areas of the world uh, than here in America, it's in the common interest of uh, true immigrants and uh, you know, residents of the United States and, and citizens here to make sure that we uh, control the diseases that are entering this country that we're really not prepared to battle. Um, there, there are so many issues involved in this. Um, but I think one significant issue was brought up by, I forget what member of the administration who said, look, uh, people are bringing their children with the idea that they wouldn't dare stop me if I had my children with me. So they're using their children, as it were, um, they're abusing the children as some sort of pawns in the game to get, get in, in the door. And of course, the leftists are more than willing to allow them to do that. Uh, anything, anything that they can do to attack this country and this, this president. Um, 
So I understand from the polls, surveys that were taken, that many of the people here in the United States understand what's going on, despite the propaganda uh, uh, avalanche from the, from the press, that, uh, yes, these parents are using their children, hoping that they will be some sort of uh, keys to get, get into the door and get past the gate, as it were. Um, and many Americans are seeing that their parents are the ones who are at fault in doing this. Um, right on down to the cover of Time magazine where the little girl right, was allegedly standing there with President Trump looking down at her very sternly as she's weeping um, because she allegedly was separated from her mother. This is the message, but it's, she wasn't. And I understand from a very uh, reputable source that, uh, in fact, her mother had actually taken her, unbeknownst to the father, away from the family and had paid $6,000 to a, to a uh, smuggler to get her into the country. And uh, as this source pointed out, well, if she had $6,000 to give a smuggler to get the child into the country, then it's unlikely that uh, they, they were really suffering mm -hmm. uh, poverty and um, um, whatever. I understand she left the rest of the children and there are a number of other children in the family behind. So, uh, th again, you know, this is being completely misrepresented for political advantage by those who are unscrupulous. We have to remember, though, that the people who are pushing this, this message are, are the ones who are in favor of murdering as many children as they can in the womb by abortion. And this is their meat and potatoes. This is the air they breathe. This is, this is the big lie. And we just simply cannot trust them to tell the truth. Um, they will invent any falsehood they can to achieve their end. But this is a method of the left, right? This is what the socialists and the communists, leftists, so-called progressives have preached. They said any, any lie that serves the purpose of the revolution is a good thing. Um, so in any case, obviously, Tom, we, we do not recommend and, and, and cannot really tolerate governments separating children from their families unless there's a, a very serious reason to do so. But the fact is there can be reasons serious enough to do it. And in this case, um, the idea that children can be separated for a time, in a short time, um, if there is suspicion of abuse or neglect or disease or even whether the children belong to these adults who are showing up with them, uh, that can constitute a, a necessary reason to do it. Even if it's a matter of the, a, a parent trying to use a child to get through the door and into the country, um, that, that in itself could easily be considered to be abusing your children. And uh, to discourage them from doing that, you know, to... Uh, as long as the children are, uh, are not being, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, they've got to be sheltered and, and, and uh, fed and clothed and so on, and not being abused in some other way, then I would lay the blame squarely at the door of their parents, as many Americans apparently do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that uh, the president there did sign an executive order, I guess it was, in which he uh, ordered that to stop. And um, 
No, he, he did so perhaps for political reasons because of the midterms coming up and he saw that the media was stirring up a firestorm of outrage among people. And it's nice that there is enough of a reaction from people, some of them genuine, not the leftists, who really don't want families broken up by the government, right? Uh, but, um, but whatever motivated him to do that, um, I noticed that the Supreme Court of the United States, supposedly SCOTUS, has just recently upheld the president's uh, authority to issue travel bans from certain countries, uh, something that was really a fact all this time, but the left, again, you know, trumps up some, well, to use the expression, all kinds of uh, media campaigns to try to uh, block it. And of course, they have plenty of leftist judges who've been imposed by uh, Barack Obama and his cronies on this country who are willing to back up the, uh, the leftist agenda. But uh, nonetheless, the Supreme Court has uh, upheld just in the last uh, few days, I guess, uh, President Trump's uh, travel bans. And then the point with the travel ban is not to stop people altogether from coming from these countries, but just to take a good look at who's coming in. That's all it is, just to take a good look at who is coming in and um, to uh, exercise some control over that. Um, you notice that um, also uh, Justice Kennedy has just announced mm -hmm. that he's going to be stepping down, which opens up an, a, uh, a spot on the Supreme Court for Trump to name, President Trump to name another justice. And again, the leftists are really upset about it. Oh, they're, they're, they're furious about that. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Senator Schumer, a man who certainly, um, uh, you know, could be suspected of, of uh, playing politics and, and uh, being somewhat less than genuous in his comments, right? Very kind, Father. <laughs> Has insisted that, of course, for Trump to name a new uh, court justice before, I think he said the midterms would be just outrageous that he would do this. Of course, because Barack Obama would never do such a thing or any of his leftist cronies. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're getting just there. For them uh, to, to do this, to play this game with people's minds and hearts and futures and the future of the whole country, for them, this is, this is in their blood. It, it's genetic with them to be, um, uh, to, to, to lie, I mean, to, to stir up trouble every, every turn and to uh, create uh, molehills out of nothing and then turn the molehills into mountains and then turn the mountains into mountain ranges if they can with the collusion of the press. Mm -hmm. So I'm afraid that's what's happening with this immigration battle. And, you know, you mentioned you started out by talking about what Francis said. I had heard that Francis even said we've got to welcome the immigrants into Europe because pretty soon Europe will be empty without them. Right. Is that true? Right. Is that in the article you received? Uh, this is in another article. Actually, I can pull it up right here. It says, without immigration, Europe will become empty. I believe that you cannot reject people who arrive. You have to receive them, help them, look after them, accompany them, and then to see where to put them, but throughout all of Europe. He says some governments are working on it, 
and people have to be settled in the best possible way. But creating psychosis is not the cure. Populism does not resolve things. What resolves things is acceptance, study, and prudence. Okay, notice where he starts in a little string, though, right? He starts by saying, Europe will be empty without them. Okay, mm -hmm. that's, that's where he begins that whole right. string of pious platitudes from Francis, okay? Um, but uh, if, if Europe is going to be empty, whose fault is that? The Novosilva Church um, has brought up these people in their Novosilva religion, uh, not to, to conceive, not to give birth, to use artificial birth control, even though officially, supposedly, it's banned. In fact, their clergy has been behind it. Francis himself has basically, you know, uh, you know softballed the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And um, if Europe is going to be emptied of Catholics, so that they need to import Muslims from all over, wherever they can get them, and just open the floodgates and let the Muslims fill Europe with Islam, then I would lay the door, I would lay that squarely at the foot of Francis sure. and his cronies, the leftists that have been in the Vatican uh, since 1958, and their influence before that, long before that, right. in the Vatican. So, um, you know, everything he says, if you examine it closely, is an indictment of him and his modernism and his novus ordo. Okay. But people unfortunately don't look too deeply into these things, do they? Right, and, and I think the perfect example of that is how, and this, this whole thing exists, you know, just simply, uh, Europe is facing a demographic winter. Mm -hmm. You know, just, just tries to um, just butter everything up and, and make it so, uh, so fluffy and, and meaningless mm -hmm. when, like you said, you know, you can really lay the blame at their feet. Father, real quick on this, this, um, this immigration, crisis that's been going on. Rush Limbaugh on his show made a, made a great point that you, you kind of brought up there, talking about hypocrisy and how this just perfectly illustrates what the left is, what the left does. He said, you know, there's all this, uh, all this talk about separating fa families and all this outcry about this. He said, you want to talk about separating families, separating parents from their children? Look at Planned Parenthood. Is there any organization in the history of the world that, that separates more children from their families than Planned Parenthood? And, and Rush Limbaugh said that he fully expects those comments to be controversial because they're true. And he's dead on. That is, that is so true. And that's just, it perfectly illustrates what the left is. They, they, their, their lifeblood is just lies, hypocrisy. They're so deceiving. I would go one step further than Planned Parenthood, though. I mean, I agree with Rush Limbaugh on that. But I would say the government school system has really uh, propagandized the youngsters to so disregard the authority of the parents uh, that the, parent, the children are basically, or many of them, orphans in their own homes. Sure. Um, because their parents are almost afraid to teach them, to discipline them, to contradict what they're being taught by the government in the government schools. Um, so I think that indoctrination begins in the government schools, and Planned Parenthood is simply um, another step in that, you know, mm -hmm. down that path. Sure. Yeah. Father, uh, in, in this in this same story, there was uh, there was a lot of hay made over. Um, let's see, it was Jeff Sessions, and how, in this whole idea, he quoted. Um, St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, he said that I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. 
He said orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and lawful. And there's a lot of discussion, Father, over uh, the accuracy of his interpretation of that text of St. Paul. So could you, could you comment on that? Well, St. Paul clearly is saying that government in itself is a good thing, that God ordained uh, human beings to have government. It's a rule of, of law and principle of morality, right? Right and wrong. And uh, we human beings have to craft our own laws, but we also have to craft them in accordance with God's law, right? Uh, the moral law, the natural law, the, the uh, divine positive law, all of these these um, uh, should be the sources and the principles from which our own law is devised. St. Paul certainly would not encourage one to obey laws that are immoral. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas defined law as an ordinance of reason promulgated by the one who has care and authority over the community for the sake of the common good. And uh, he makes it very clear that human law, all, all human law, whether it be ecclesiastical law in the church or civil law in the state, the society, must <clears throat> accord with God's law. If it is contrary to the common good as defined by God's law, <clears throat> then it is no law at all. And um, there are certain laws, uh, well, the things that, that have the veneer of law that are so evil and so manifestly contrary to God's law that we cannot accept them. And we have to refuse to, uh, to indulge them. You know? Abortion is one of those. One of those. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Other things like homosexual marriage, um, absolutely contrary to God's law. Uh, we have to uh, insist that we uh, will not acknowledge that in principle or in practice. So, um, so Jeff, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what was the argument. I, I know that uh, Jeff Sessions was answering something with regard to immigration. Mm -hmm. With regard to that, he was trying to say people need to follow the law. Sure. Um, but there's always that caveat. The law has to be truly... Uh, a just law following the principles given to us by Almighty God, inscribed in human nature and in the divine positive law. Mm -hmm. um, if it contravenes these things, it cannot really be law, because all authority comes from God, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And if there is something that would presume to have an authority that is contrary to God's, it cannot be true. Okay. It cannot be right. Now, um, was, was he using that to justify the idea of taking the children away from the parents? Is that, is that what he was answering, the argument that he was answering there? He was just defending the policy in general. I'm oh, he was, saying. I see. Okay. Yeah, the policy in general is separating, uh, separating parents from their children. Okay. And as I said, I mean, there can be sufficient reason for that, right? right. But obviously it also can be abused, so. Yeah. Um... <coughs> Well, Father, I thought uh, you might like to tackle this. Uh, By the way, uh, I'm a little bit. Um, I don't mean I don't mean to crit criticize Jeff Sessions for for quoting uh, that from Romans, mm -hmm. but you know, Nancy Pelosi is also want to 
quote, uh, quote unquote, you know, I put the quote in quotes, right, uh, from the Gospels when it serves her purpose, right? And uh, the devil can, can quote scripture to his purpose too. So we do have to scrutinize when political figures uh, quote scriptures and see if, if it really is applicable and, and, and if, it, uh, if it is accurate. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, there's no harm in taking a look at that. Father, I, th- I think this ties in perfectly with, with this idea of, of interpreting Scripture, because uh, just you know, recently on Sunday we celebrated the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and um, in and, and, uh, line with that, Francis made a comment saying, it's time to rediscover amazement, surprise, and gratitude in our faith. And he, he laid out this idea of... Uh, How about... Orthodoxy and truth and uh, uh, true Catholic teaching. That's much too rigid, Father. Uh, he he talks though about uh, about how Saint Elizabeth and Saint Zachary they they were so so uh, surprised and amazed at this idea. You know, Saint Elizabeth was was past the age of childbearing and uh, and this idea to conceive a child was was so amazing to them. And he says, this whole event of the birth of St. John the Baptist is surrounded by a joyful sense of amazement and surprise and gratitude. And looking at this, let us ask ourselves, how is my faith? Is it a joyful faith or is it always the same faith, a flat faith? Do I have a sense of amazement when I see the works of the Lord? Tell me, Father, do you see any correlation between that and modernism? Because it seems to me that this is perfectly in line with his idea of... uh, Saying how the you know God is a God of surprises, the mm. Holy Spirit is a spirit full of, full of surprises and amazement and, and all of these things and you know this let us ask ourselves is my how's my faith is it always the same is it a flat faith is that not some kind of uh, is it not dynamic and vital and but, but evolving and changing yeah and is that is that is that not a, a, an attempt to, to mask and and this this kind of veiled attack at traditionalism Francis has already faith. said he doesn't like doctrine yeah. he doesn't like dogma. He doesn't like it because it doesn't change. It doesn't evolve. And yeah, exactly, Tom. The fact that he says a flat faith, uh, it's always the same, right? <laughs> In other words, change your faith yeah. daily. You, yeah. know, you change your socks or you know, change whatever. Your hairstyle, change your faith. Make it interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, Francis says these things, and I, I guess there are people who think that these are rather deep things. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, they're deep only in the sense that he has to dig them up, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but he makes it very clear that how that is to be interpreted. And it's not meant to be an appreciation for the faith. It's meant to depreciate the faith. Right. It's meant to say, uh, you know, not only renew your faith um, and your love for the faith, but it's meant to uh, say, you know, change your faith. And... Uh, uh, this, this is this is the same lie that they told with Vatican II and the modernists uh, um, pitch to you know aggiornamento bring bring the world the church into line with the modern world and make it relevant and all this and they say that they're reforming the church you know well you see what they're doing when they they claim to reform the church uh by their changes and what they're doing basically is they are uh trying to bury the the true catholic church and replace it with some worldly modern construct of their own imagination 
of their own their own religious experience, as they would the modernists would refer to it, their own faith experience. They um, that, that's what Francis is really saying here. I mean, people have to have to put what he says here in context of what all the other things he's said and done. And basically what he's saying here is, uh, you know, get rid of the old faith and bring in the new, some new religion. And don't just renew it, but actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for that is, um, you know, out with the old and with the new. And the new is Francis, because he is the Greek interpreter of what the faith should be now. Because as he said about other things, the church was wrong in the past, but now, now that we have Francis, we've discovered this, and we've discovered now what is the right thing to do. And Francis, he is the great, you know, guru on the mountain that we all have to go to to find what the latest, greatest is, Mm -hmm. as far as what, what he's finding out from whatever spirit is talking to him. I just thought, Father, this is so telling, you know, he says you have to look at your faith and, and see, ask yourself, is it always the same faith? Well, I would hope that it's always the same faith because, you know, in Catholicism we have the Apostles' Creed, which is essentially the, um, it sums up what Catholics believe, and the Apostles' Creed from the time of the Apostles, right? So, what, two... two well, this two, is, the, you're talking like a Catholic. Two thousand, okay, sorry. <laughs> you're talking like a Catholic, and he doesn't even think of those categories. No. Except to condemn it. Right. I understand what you're saying. It's just, it's, it perfectly illustrates the, uh, the total... The, it is a contempt for the faith of the only. If you believe the same thing you, you did a year ago, and even yesterday, your faith is not dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's stale. It's flat. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's, just, there's just such a dichotomy there of the just two totally separate ideas of always having the same faith and always changing your faith. Two totally contradictory things and uh, that right there if you well it's interesting he chooses the word flat (laughs) because remember uh, in Advent we hear about St. John the Baptist and the prophecy of old saying make straight the ways of the Lord bring the hills low and fill in the valleys and make the ways plain for the coming of the Messiah right Mm -hmm. he says no we don't want a flat faith (laughs) we want a faith with valleys and hills and they were constantly changing the landscape here. And that's what modernists do. They want, they want a faith that is constantly evolving and changing with the times and with the mentality of the, of the times. That's why it's called modernism. Yep. Father, tell me, does that, uh, does that, does modernism, this idea of changing faith and, like you said, out with the old and with the new, is that not perfectly in line with, uh, with Marxism and his theory of, you know, destroy, 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 tear down what is so that what is next may come? Because like, like Marx taught, you know, we, we couldn't control, uh, we couldn't control what exactly happened, but we could control, we could control the pace of what happened. So the more upheaval, the more revolution there was, the better it was, because that would destroy what is so that what was next could come. And he thought at the end of this whole process was the, the great workers paradise, the great uh, communist paradise, and that's what he saw at the end of this whole process, and so that's what he taught, revolution, revolution, destroy, destroy. That's what modernism does. Modernism uh, is Marxism. It is the spiritual form of Marxism. Uh, it is the tool by which the devil wants to bring down the faith, because the Catholic faith is the only thing that can withstand the attacks of Satan through the totalitarians, the leftists, the progressives, and so on communism. 
The, remember, Tommy, in the encyclical Pashendi, condemning the errors of the modernists, <clears throat> was promulgated on September 8, 1907. Ten years later, the Blessed Mother appeared in Fatima and warned about the errors of Russia, right, spreading throughout the world. So she can, the, the church condemns modernism in 1907. Ten years later, 1917, Heaven, Our Lady, speaks and condemns the errors of Russia. And what are those errors? Marxism, right? Marxism that says that man is nothing but an economic animal. No soul, no immortal soul, no immortal soul created in the image and likeness of God. Nothing, none of that, right? He's a worker, he's a cog in the machine, and he's, a, he's basically a part of history, this developing evolutionary history, which is inevitably going to lead through this predetermined process to the perfect communist world, the uh, abolition of private property, and the workers' paradise. This is the myth that Marx, Marx is feeding the people, the delirious people who have been so robbed of faith that they're willing to believe anything, um, even that big lie, okay? but. Uh, of course, the means to get to that workers' paradise is not absolute liberty and anarchy. The, the way to get there is fomenting anarchy for the sake of fomenting tyranny, because tyranny always follows anarchy. And anarchy is the means to impose tyranny on the people. And so if you have a certain order in a society and you want to change that order to a tyranny of uh, the most brutal and savage man alive, the most corrupt and evil man alive, then you have to break up the society by fomenting anarchy, moral and legal and, and social anarchy, so that you can move in then and put down the boot on everyone and impose, impose your tyranny. Ultimately, that's how the Antichrist is going to take power. It will be the most corrupt of all, the, the, the man of son of perdition, right? And, um, of course, this is how Satan has operated. He's learned very well over the years that this, this is what you do. You, 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 you destroy the old order, you create anarchy, and then you impose tyranny. Um, this is what Marx is really calling for. His message was <coughs> there's an evolutionary process which is uh, fueled by violence. It's all about the violent destruction of class warfare to destroy what is for the sake of um, building on the ruins, as it were, this next phase of the evolutionary process of society, this historical evolutionary process. And every phase you go through brings you closer to the great goal, right? This is, this is his myth. Um, well, you know, if you look at modernism, modernism really was the tool to attack the Catholic Church. And um, notice what St. Pius X says in his encyclical condemning modernism. He says modernism will be the destruction of all true religion, of all because it lays the axe to the very root of faith itself. So it's not just a denial of this doctrine or that doctrine, it is the destruction of everything we know as faith, the virtue of faith in the soul. It destroys it, right? 
and it foments in the minds of people the idea <clears throat> that um, God is evolving in, there's a spiritual evolution also in history. And we are involved in that spiritual evolution, <clears throat> updating constantly, uh, making the church and the faith relevant to the modern world. It's all part of that, <clears throat> that process uh, moving forward because all change, you know, <clears throat> inevitably moves forward. Change is always good for the modernists. See, whatever it is, because it's destroying what was before and opening up all the possibilities uh, for what, what is to come. And so this is what the modernists are doing in the church. So yes, Tom, there is a great parallel. There, there is quite a study uh, of that. And in fact, I did talk about that at some length at one of the Roman Catholic forums years ago about the parallels between Marxism and modernism. And we have to see that they, these things are our fellow travelers. Father, why do you think it is that, uh, that so many people do not see these, these simple truths? You know, there's just so, such simple principles, such as the, the greater cannot come from the less. Uh, even the in in, um, in science, you know, you have the, the second law of thermodynamics. I believe that the things tend towards disorder. Uh, so these things, these are just simple philosophical scientific principles that 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 tell you plainly that change is bad. Usually, that this flat faith, this unchanging faith, this rigid truth that Francis speaks so negatively. About this is really what. Well, this is the glue that holds everything together. Tom, have you, I'm sure you have tried this. Have you ever tried to have a rational discussion with uh, some a modern world, like right. somebody who's a product of modern education, right. especially college education? Mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to have a rational discussion with them? Mm -hmm. And what what kind of experiences you have? What <laughs> very very bad experience. A very uh, <coughs> irrational experience. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, they have a terrible time following what you're trying to say, especially if you're, you're trying to be logical, right? They, it's as though you're trying to trick them by logic, <laughs> as though there's something devious here, and they're very wary of logic. <clears throat> but if, they, if, if there's, you're saying something that is threatening to them, meaning that they see your point and they see that you might be right, they immediately change the subject because they do not want to go there, right? Mm -hmm. And you find this especially when you talk to atheists. Uh, but you also find it sometimes in talking to Protestants, right, about their fundamentalism and showing the, the errors there and how anti-scriptural it really is. They don't want to see it. Uh, it's human nature that you're running into here. But the problem is we have um, a population that is by design been been made almost incapable of, of rational thought. And they are taught that the only thing that is real is their feeling, what they feel. It's not truth, because there is no such thing as objective truth, because we're all existentialists. They go to college, and whatever they call it, they're, they're being taught existentialism, because you have your own experience, and that's your truth. I mean, Delta Airlines recently had the Delta Airlines uh, you know, publication they, they put in month by month in their, in the um, sea pockets, you know. And just recently there is a, an image of uh, Oprah Winfrey, you know, like the goddess of the female talk show host, right? And the, the statement on the front is, 
what is it? Living her truth. Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oprah has her truth, you know. We, uh, everybody has his own truth these days. <clears throat> Nothing objectively true. It's all what you, what is true to you because you have your own experience. Again, modernism. <clears throat> modernism is religious experience. It's how you experience God, okay? So you have your own faith, your own religion that is built upon the faith, your own ritual and so on. But it's all unique to you. And... Um, the, the idea is, therefore, that each one of us is our own little God at the center of his own little world, of his own creation, and everything is good or bad depending on how it makes you feel. And if it makes you feel good about yourself and feeds your self-esteem, it's good. And if it makes you feel bad or feel sad or especially feel guilty, it's evil and must be resisted. You know? And that's your truth. And it's all, it's all about how you feel about things. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, you can tell me anything you want. <clears throat> but what matters is not what you say. It's what I think you mean and how I feel about it. That's the truth. <laughs> and you may say, but I didn't say that. And I say, well, it doesn't matter whether you said that. But that's how I received it, and that's how it affected me. <clears throat> and for me, that's the truth of what you said and as far as I'm concerned, that's what you meant, even though you say that's not what you meant. It doesn't matter, because this is how I feel about what you said. Right. So it's not about what happens in a, to an existentialist. It's how I feel about what happened. It's not about reality. It's how I feel about reality. Not about truth. It's how I feel about truth. That's my truth. Essentially, that's, that's the very root of modernism. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Ultimately, it's going to be the, at the root of Marxism, too. Right. Father, you, you mentioned these uh, existentialist college professors. I, I believe I encountered that in my ethics class that I took in college. I remember our, uh, our ethics professor, he started out this, this discussion one day by saying that, uh, you know, so many people will say that you're only composed of, of a body, you have no soul, and there's only this material world, and some people live only for, uh, for carnal pleasures and all that. And he was saying how wrong this is, you know, just to have this... Uh, just only live live for the body. And I thought, wow, this, this is this is good. I mean, this is a good point. This is this is true. And then he goes on to say, some people say that you're only a body. Some people say that you're a body and a soul, but that's wrong. What you are is a soul. You're only a soul. You're only a spirit. That's all you have. And uh, I thought that um, <laughs> I thought that might have been an uh, an, an example. So the physical reality or material reality is an illusion. Uh, something like that. Is that I don't know. He was uh, he was a bit of a lost cause. Uh, but he, he seemed to be alluding to this idea of existentialism that you know all you have is uh, it's just your your feelings. This kind of vague spirit. Uh, right. No no real foundational firm. Right. Well, you know truth. all of this is a direct attack on God's creation. Because God created man in his image and likeness. So he created man in his image by his nature. And the, the, the nature of man is endowed with the power of intelligence to know what is true, and even to understand what truth is, and to love what is good, and even to understand what goodness is. And it is in the very nature of man, because of the love of goodness uh, and truth, to enjoy what is really beautiful and orderly, what is true order. We see that as beauty, and it fills our souls with, with there, there you have the joy. 
and the wonder in seeing something true and good and beautiful. The, the, the three transcendentals, as the philosophers call them. The true, the good, and the beautiful. It's for that we're created. We, can, we find that at its very source in Almighty God. <clears throat> okay? The creator who has <clears throat> created with the true and the good and the beautiful and put those um, by vestige and similitude and, and image in the human soul here on, on earth. Uh, we find ultimately the true, the good, and the beautiful, all that gives us joy ultimately in God. That's what we're created for. And when God created human being, Adam and, Adam and Eve, he created them also in grace, in sanctifying grace. So they're not only in the image of God, like a picture on the wall, they are actually created in the likeness of God, which is something deeper than a mere image. They don't just have a sort of like the, the veneer or this, the appearance of God. There's something by, by grace inside of them that goes deeper, that they actually have the likeness of God in them by sanctifying grace. Now, the whole argument of Marx, man is an economic animal, and people who deny uh, the divine creation of the human soul are actually attacking that very idea. Those who would try to take the, the power of reason away from human beings and reduce them to what Jean-Paul Sartre said, that, I mean, the great atheist, the pathetic atheist existentialist, right? The father of existentialist atheism, Jean-Paul Sartre, said, man is a useless passion. Hmm. And that's what he's trying, that's what they're all trying to reduce us to. Mm -hmm. God forbid that we should allow them to do that. They're, they're trying to reduce us to nothing but, uh, you know, 10th uh, generation monkeys and apes. And, and uh, unfortunately, they've convinced enough people that this is what they are. They've convinced enough people that they are useless passions. They've convinced enough people that they're economic animals. That uh, we're looking at a world that is very much Tolkien uh, with its, its orcs and its... Uh, now they, they, you know, it, people might be offended by the idea of saying a lot of people in the world today are acting like orcs, but I mean, they're the ones who are talking about the zombie apocalypse. They're the ones who are talking about the zombies out there. They're fascinated by the zombies. And well, they might be, because I'm afraid there is reality to that, that uh, spiritually and even intellectually, we see a zombie apocalypse forming before our very eyes. You know? mm -hmm. Father, real quick, I wanted to back up to something you said earlier as far as uh, the Antichrist coming into the world by this idea of destroying authority so that we have tyranny, that, or rather anarchy, that will lead to tyranny, and this is how the Antichrist will come to power. And Father, you know, at the root of, uh, of society is the foundation of the family unit. So in order to destroy that authority there, uh, in order to, to have this, to affect this anarchy, the most uh, essential thing to do would be to attack the authority of the family mm -hmm. unit. And you mentioned earlier in the program that government schools, how that could be at right. the uh, at the foundation of, of kind of this, this whole idea. And Father, as you know, I, um, I'm involved, uh, I actually do do sign language interpreting for the, the local Cincinnati Public School Boards here. Mm -hmm. And uh, just this past Monday, they had a meeting, a public school board meeting, where they talked about uh, just they really uh, lauded themselves on the work that they're doing how, and how important it is. And one board member said that 
the work that we're doing, I'm paraphrasing here, but the work that we're doing here with this public school system is the most important work that can be done in a community because there is nothing that has the power to transform a community, to affect good in a community like a public school does. So, Father, what what do you uh, what do you think about this this idea of uh, of public schools being the uh, government schools being the the greatest thing in a community, the most tram- the most transformative power within a community, and these work that these public school board members are doing is that really the greatest, most important work? In the eyes of a leftist, it is, because a leftist has no god to worship; it has to worship government. Uh, government is the, the divine oracle now, okay? That's all they've got. And so these public schools are extension of the government. Department of Education, which doesn't exist or is not allowed for in the United States Constitution. They just created wholesale back in the 1950s. And it, this, this is the extension of the government. Now the government is going to raise your children and indoctrinate your children with the current political wisdom, okay, uh, the, which again comes down to modernism, right, in politics and in society. The current, the current um, political correctness is what the children are going to be raised in. Mm-hmm. And Father, uh, this, uh, these, these, these public schools, you know, it's, you call it the Department of Education. It's, uh, it's so far beyond that. I would say the reason they think that they're so powerful, the work they're doing is so great, is because it's not about education anymore. For them, they constantly talk about this idea of the whole child. I think I've mentioned this on the program before now, but their whole focus is on yeah. the whole child, the whole community. Coming uh, for uh, John Dewey. Yeah, ev- yeah. Everything. It's 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 not education. Educational education philosophy. is only a tiny facet of it anymore. They they literally they want to uh, literally focus on the whole child. They want and they keep pushing for earlier and earlier. They have this preschool promise that they're pushing, trying to get. Uh, children in their hands earlier and early at an earlier and earlier age, and they one board member even uh, even admitted this. She did it in, in a way to kind of say, "Look at us, how good we're doing." Um, I kind of took it the other way, where she said, "You know, when I first started on the school board so so many years ago, our focus was 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 simply K through 12." But she said, "In the last several years alone, we've realized we're so much more than that. We're now." pre-K through uh, all the way through college and beyond. They want complete control. And and she's saying this as, look at how great we're doing, look at this this great work we're doing. But this is what government does, this is the mentality. It's just, to me, it seems that this this shows, this perfectly illustrates how the government school system is the perfect tool of the devil, the perfect tool of of anti-government. It's the perfect tool for a totalitarian dictatorship, absolutely, mm-hmm. and to pave the way for an antichrist. Yeah. I mean, John Dewey's teaching was to socialize, literally to socialize every child. And that is to say, make every child think in terms of socialization on part of the, the masses, as it were. And I, I have no identity apart from being just a member of the herd. Mm-hmm. This is essentially... What happened? You know, they tried to introduce John Dewey's idea, concept of education behind the Iron Curtain in the early Soviet Union and found it was a disaster, so they dropped it. But while that, while the Soviets had their own program over there on that side of the Iron Curtain, they were pursuing another agenda over here. 
And they found that John Dewey's system of education was very, very effective as a, as a tool against their enemy. It's kind of germ warfare. <clears throat> it's kind of biological warfare to destroy the minds of their enemies and uh, destroy the, even the power of thinking, rational thought. So as soon as you see yourself as nothing but a microbe, in a, you know, like a maggot on the surface of the, uh, of, the, of the decaying meat or whatever, as soon as you see yourself as nothing but um, basically a cog in the wheel of a machine, uh, you have no identity, you're no longer a threat. Rather, rather you are ripe to be harvested as a good communist, mm -hmm. to be used and then uh, simply discarded, and ground up and as fertilizer uh, for, for communism. It's fitting that you mentioned the, the Soviet Union, because I, I remember reading um, some time ago, I believe it was an article by Thomas Sowell, I could be wrong, but he, he made the point of uh, it's so sad to see what is happening in, in the last time, particularly in, in America today, where we, we, we used to fight wars for these great causes, you know, we, we fought against Nazism, we fought against, we fought an entire war, the, the entire Cold War to stop the spread of, of communism, to, to fight against this idea of socialism and Marxism, and now it's so pathetic to see how we've, we've just caved to it when there's not even, there's not even a war going on anymore. We're just so pathetic, so lazy, so apathetic that we've, we've just totally given in and I fall and pray to this, to some, something that, that we supposedly already defeated. And it's so Well, I think it's a little simplistic though. Yeah. To say, oh, we fought the Second World War to stop communism. Well, I mean, that's a nice thought. Yeah. We, we're going to stop Nazism. Yeah. And so on, while we're feeding the Soviets yeah. and the Soviet war machine against Hitler, there are those who, who point out that the real winner in all this is the international bankers who, are, who, are, who are, are making money hand over fist and getting more and more control of the governments of the world by, by usury, by lending the money to uh, power their war machines. Financing both sides. Sure. Time. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a game they're playing. They're very shrewd. And, uh, you know, we think of men like George Soros right now as a... A, a kind of a co-religionist of Francis really mm -hmm. when you get right down to it, the New World Order. And uh, Francis is, is in a sense kind of a, a counterpart to the leaders of the New World Order. I mean, after all, I mean, the, the Bilderbergs invited, uh, you know, the, the Cardinal Secretary of State of, of the Vatican, Francis's Secretary of State, to attend their Bilderberg meeting this year. This is a milestone for them. And um, this is bringing together the, the new world order with the new, uh, with the new religious order. Um, but, you know, we, ha we always have to realize that as negative as this is, it it's just very interesting to see what's going on right now because it, it seems to be that there is a resistance to this now. It seems to be there's a mindful, there's an awareness of what's going on here now. And that somehow people are standing up to this and saying, no, we don't want to go this way. We're not going to let you do this to us, at least here in this country. And uh, now I'm not saying that they have all the right principles, <clears throat> um, but I, I am saying that they, they see enough and they understand enough to realize where this is going and they don't want it. Mm -hmm. Now, the only way they're going to effectively resist it is by the true faith. And... Our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately, the true faith and his true religion and the true holy sacrifice of the Mass, 
the practice of the traditional Catholic religion is, is the key to, uh, to uh, standing up for what is right and resisting what is evil. You and I know that very well. And there are many others who are discovering this more and more. They're finding their way back to the traditional faith. Because they may try other, other means of of addressing the problem as they see it, but as they learn more and more about the problem and understand it more, understand the principles behind the whole problem of the dissolution of society and Christendom, as they understand cultural Marxism now, they, they realize that what they thought was the solution is inadequate. And so one thing leads them to another, and they find their way back to the traditional Catholic faith and realize this is the truth. And this is the, the only power on earth that uh, comes from God. I mean, the, the spiritual power that Christ himself, our Lord, the Son of God, brought to the world, conveyed to his apostles, and sent out into the world through them. And through the priesthood that, that they conveyed, you know, that they gave to others by the power of ordination. And um, the teaching authority that Christ gave to them comes down to us through the traditional Catholic Church. So uh, all we can do is just try to enable people to not only understand the problem, but we have ultimately we have to help them understand what the truth is and what the solution really is. The solution is all, only going to be our Lord Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and the Church that He established mm -hmm. with its Mass and its sacraments and. Um, it's entirely tr true traditional Catholic religion. Sure. We have to go back to practice that and hold on to that for dear life. Mm -hmm. Life in this world and in the <laughs> next, okay? Definitely. So, in any case, uh, we have to hearken to the voice of Our Lady of Fatima. Mm -hmm. Father, I'd say that's a, that's a uh, positive note to end on. You know, I think, like, like you said, um, there is a, a certain resistance that you see in the, at least our, our country now. And um, like you said, they perhaps are beginning to realize that their their methods are inadequate. And it seems I've noticed at least that there's so much uh, there's so much dependence on reason and reasoning things out. You know, we have we have so many uh, great, wise, very reasonable political commentators and, and pundits. You know, Rush Limbaugh we mentioned earlier. Um, there, there's a lot like that. Who a lot of times they're very reasonable. They reason things out. They'll see clearly what. Often the identifying the problem. Right, but the, there's but. just there's just this dependence on reason. But you see how totally inadequate just reason alone is. At some point, there has to be grace because you could you could have the greatest thinker, the greatest reasoner in the world. You could have a Plato and Aristotle, but if you just have this reason. It, it can only get you so far. At some point, if we ever really want real change to be affected, there has to be grace. If you're God. starting with the wrong principles, rigorous reasoning will lead you to the very wrong conclusions. That's true. And sometimes very dangerous conclusions. If you're starting with the wrong principles, and that's where you need faith. You need the faith, the faith, the true faith, the to give faith. you the right. Well, what Francis <laughs> condemns as the flat faith, unchanging. you need that, the unchanging faith that Christ brought to this world. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the Holy Ghost to bring to mind, as our Lord said, all things, whatever I have taught you, mm -hmm. that's what we need. Definitely. That's what Francis condemns as a flat faith that doesn't change continually mm -hmm. <clears throat> with whatever he happens to say or think at any given moment. But in any case, Tom, uh, you're right. I mean, there are people who are discovering they can identify the problem, <clears throat> but they can't give you the solution. Right. And that's what only the true faith can give. Sure. Um, 
so we, we just have to keep trying to make people, enable people to find the way to the true faith. Mm-hmm. Um, they can identify the danger, but they can't find out where, how, where salvation is. And it's only going to be in our Lord Jesus Christ and the faith, the church that he established with his faith and his worship, right. the true mass. Father, I have a whole stack of, uh, of various emails and current events and more Francis Follies, of course. But uh, Always, we, yeah. we will... <laughs> we He's will, prolific. Yes. We will save those for a later date, Father. So I thank you for being here tonight. Thanks for your time and thanks for the, uh, thanks for the discussion. I found oh, it very, very interesting, hopefully, you. Uh, hopefully profitable. Well, I, I hope so. I hope people do find it somewhat... Well, I hope that they find it more than somewhat helpful. <laughs> um, but uh, in any case... I also had a stack of things that I thought would be interesting to talk about, but I think we were talking about the the, the, the higher things rather than the, the, the particulars of what's going on now. Yeah. Okay. Well, the particulars are pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right, well, by, by the way, also, um, you know, people identifying the problems, if they don't have the true faith, they can be overwhelmed by seeing the problems, mm-hmm. too. That's true. And say, well, there, there is no solution to this, really, except the popular reaction, and that's the only thing that can save it and solve it. But then they, when they find out that that isn't adequate to deal with it, <clears throat> then they're at a loss, unless they find faith in the meantime. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to prolong it, but one example of what you're saying here, I think, is that Donald Trump goes to Singapore, Meets, I think it was Singapore, right? Mm-hmm. Meets with Kim Unhinged or uh, Kim uh, Jong Un or whatever it is. Okay, the current communist dictator of uh, of North Korea, right? And this is portrayed in the leftist press as being a travesty, and uh, by the more conservatives as being a wonderful thing, and how hopeful this is now and now. This uh, communist dictator is kind of been won over, and he sees what you can do. He sees the glory uh, of life in Singapore with all the hotels and the and the tourism and all, and he, he sees what North Korea could be now. It's this great capitalist paradise, I guess what they're trying to say. And um, you know, it's easy for us to kind of fall into that idea. Oh, it's so wonderful. That the president went there and talked to Kim and, and kind of brought him around, at least brought him to heal, and there's, the threat is not there anymore. We can breathe again. Uh, our children are safe again. But you know what? <clears throat> That's not the answer. I mean, as, as hopeful as we might be that this is indeed happening, okay, um, we know that this is not going to make the world one whit safer but for the fact that God is going to be um, granting the graces necessary to make the world safer, and that's going to come through prayer and sacrifice and stop sinning, right? If the world doesn't stop sinning and offending God, then it's an illusion to think that these political maneuvers are going to bring us one bit closer to heaven and one bit farther from hell. So uh, these things can be very deceptive. Even even reason, as it is, I, I should say, left up to its own devices, if it starts with the wrong principles, that salvation comes from the White House or from the Supreme Court, or, you know, nobody thinks salvation comes from Congress, um, that's a mistake. There is no political maneuver uh, that is going to outmaneuver Satan 
any of this. It is going to have to be the grace of God. That's where we need to stop offending God by sin, number one, <clears throat> pray and sacrifice. Right? The rosary is the prayer that the, our Blessed Lady wants us to pray, the gospel set to prayer. And our own personal sacrifice in union with our Lord's sacrifice on Calvary and the daily sacrifice of the Mass, which perpetuates that sacrifice until the end of time. That's where we have to go. That's where we'll find salvation. That's where we'll find Christ. Father, thank you for being here tonight. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. Thank you. I will stop here and let you take over. <laughs> thank you, Father. <laughs> Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.